You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Do you want to know a secret? A secret that can enrich your business and change your life? And you've come to the right place at the right time. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com dot com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis L O U I S at Change Your Story Podcast dot com. Today's guest is a man who specializes in secrets. He is a master at discovering what he calls the secret language that exists in every market. He guides people, especially entrepreneurs, to discover their intuition, and he reveals how to use that intuition to attract ideal customers. He teaches people how to speak the ideal customer's secret language. He developed his unique skill by first becoming one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the United States. Photography, you say? Yes. Great photography is all about learning to see things that most people don't. Apply that skill to your business and it will become irresistible. Our guest is the host of the popular business podcast, Creative Warriors. He is a nationally acclaimed keynote speaker, a business coach to entrepreneurs, and the author of a new, soon-to-be-published book, Lingo. Discover your ideal customer's secret language and make your business irresistible. Get as excited as I am to introduce him to our show, Jeffrey Shaw. Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Awesome, Louis. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. So, I always love to know if the people on my show have had a childhood dream of what they wanted to be when they grew up. Is that, was that your case? Did you have one? I did. You know, it's funny. I, uh, and in a way, I lived my dream. I, I, I either wanted to be an architect uh, because, of course, like kids of my age, I was greatly influenced by the Brady Bunch. And my, Mike Brady was an architect. And so I thought that was really cool, right? He was an architect. He worked at home. He had a wife and kids. It looked pretty idyllic. So, yeah, I kind of dreamed of being an architect and was always influenced by design, uh, architectural design and just the design of anything. And uh, But I also loved photography. And my father enjoyed it as a hobby. We had the dar a dark room in the home. So I have to say my dream was to be an architect. Uh, but when it came down to it, it seemed like an awful lot of education. And I 
loved photography. So I wound up going away to photography school intending on photographing architecture. Uh, interiors of, you know, so that was sort of the original plan. I was going to combine, I honestly, I just didn't have the patience for the level of education that being an architect would, would require. So this is kind of the combination of all elements. Now I will tell you, as I, I strolled along through the photography program, I wound up having, uh, models and people sitting on the furniture and in the interiors I was photographing. And then what I really found is I loved the people, particularly in that environment. Cause I, I was a really shy child, really paralyzing shyness. And yet I found when I had, you know, one person person in front of my camera or two people in front of my camera that I really love that experience. So that's why ultimately I switched to being a portrait photographer. And yet as a portrait photographer for the past three decades, I do photograph entirely on location. I don't shoot in a studio. So I do photograph, in fact, you know, in beautiful, you know, homes and mansions across the world, um, or I photograph outdoors where the nature is the architecture. So the love of architecture is still there for sure. Well, uh, I can see a parallel. I mean, architectural design appeals to a sense of aesthetics, and certainly uh, doing uh, photography will also appeal to your sense of aesthetics yeah. and design. And I, yeah, and it's something I work a lot with with my coaching clients, and and certainly as a part of Lingo is, you know, is looking for the commonalities. And it's as a as a leader in this world of entrepreneurship, the thing one of the things I really fight hard for, uh, kind of as a spokesperson for, is to fight against. And I, I, this does come up as a topic in Lingo to fight against what has typically been told to, to find a niche in business. You know, because I as a creative person myself, I found that just paralyzing I know. You know because right because what that meant for us is to, to find one thing to do and one audience of uh, to, to provide that to and that was really paralyzing for me and and what unleashed my creativity and what really changed my story of my life was when I gave myself permission to not have to be the way the world told me I had to be and instead what I looked for is I knew I had multiple passions I knew I loved photography and architecture and I was beginning my coaching practice and I was speaking and I wanted to write books and you know I knew I had multiple passions. What I wanted to understand was inside what was the common denominator amongst these things. You know, mm -hmm. what what held it together that only needed to make sense to me so mm -hmm. that everything I was doing felt like a different medium. It was like whether I picked up watercolors or oils or or sculpture, you know, sort of like the Renaissance age, you know, when when people were revered for being multi-talented. Mm -hmm. Somehow now we're criticized if we're a jack of all trades or so it's, you know, often called. Well, um, I, th I think that, that uh, Jeffrey, I, I totally agree. And I think that that is really changing, that the entrepreneurs of today are embracing the view that you just passionately presented here. I'm thinking of a guy like Tim Ferriss, who yeah. is yes. a, uh, you know, he's embracing, he plays so many different characters in his life. And I'm excited that you feel that way. It's exactly the way I feel about things. And we're really going to get to explore that in this. I want to know who influenced you the most as a child. Wow. You know, as a young kid, well, on a personal level, my grandmother, she just was a just an awesome, cool person. And, and she was the only person in my family that loved New York City. I grew up a couple hours north of New York City in the 70s, which, of course, you know, everybody feared New York City in the 70s, except my grandmother. My grandmother was just like, let's do it. And we would go into New York City. And um, she was awesome. So on a personal level, she did. And on a personal development, I, I have been a personal development junkie since a really young age. I mean, I literally used to save together allowance or I used to, you know, I was making my own money by the age of 14, selling 
selling eggs door to door, if you can believe that. Uh, but I would save my money and, and I would buy self-help books. And like Dr. Wayne Dwyer was was a really popular author that I mean, he was until his, he still is. And but I would buy his self-help books. And so that had a lot of influence on me, too. Just those really early people like Dr. Wayne Dwyer and those really early adopters of the whole idea of motivation and personal development. And, and honestly, you know, I, I self-hypnotize myself out of my shyness, if you can believe that. I do. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get books it. And taught myself how to I had to overcome shyness in order to to accomplish anything in life. And and I would read personal development books on how to, uh, you know, stand with confidence and how to use body language and and how to visualize. Visualization was a huge part of overcoming shyness was to be able to visualize myself in situations where I wasn't shy. Mm, uh, mm, mm. Well, I, I love that because what you're describing is the essence of changing one's story to mm -hmm. change one's life. And uh, which of uh, Dr. Wayne Dwyer's books did you like the most? Oh, gosh. You know, honestly, I don't even know if I can recall a title because they were old, they were old books. I mean, we're talking the 70s. And, you know, in recent years, of course, I've moved on. And because of my own podcast, I read two books a week. So I'm a ferocious reader. So I don't know if I can identify any particular okay. title. Uh, That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you certainly in, uh, you were following uh, a very powerful, positive influence in the world. And yes, you're, you're right. He still is today. You touched upon it a bit, but what was it that attracted you specifically to photography? You know, initially it was the um, the interaction of the chemicals. I was fascinated by because back in the day we had dark rooms, and I was fascinated by the you know latent image becoming real. So, but then eventually you run out of things to to develop. So I started shooting. But yeah, originally it was just the um, you know again there's a it's one of a few common denominators in my life. When I look back, I realize there I love I love the blend of art and science, left and right brain. You know, in my podcast, uh, the what we refer to as a standout statement for creative warriors is that the show is about business with a soul. Mm. And I know as an individual, I happen to be left-handed and I'm a very creative person. My coaching clients tell me all the time they come to me because they see that I'm a very good strategist, but I do it with a really deep sense of soul and purpose. So I, I'm a believer in both sides of the spectrum. And when I look at things I'm passionate about, like photography, it is this mixture of chemicals that make something. I love to bake. Baking is the same way. You know, baking is this mixture of things, that ingredients that you put together to create something else. I love gardening, right? Why? Because gardening is both an art and a science. There's a design element to how you put the plants and the color coordination, but you have to, you know, know what the right growing environment for that plant. So that's, I, if I look at everything I'm multi-passionate about, it is this combination of the opposite ends. Uh, and I'm also a lover of paradoxes. Like I, I love to play in the, the curiosity of paradoxes. Mm, I love that. That's a great answer. Answer. Thank you. Do you know a book named Sacred Commerce? I do not. It sounds think, right up my alley, though. Uh, well, that's why I mentioned it. I think yeah. you might want to check it out because, yeah, Sacred Commerce. Uh, you sound very much like a man of the um, 22nd century, Jeffrey. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's what I have to say, Louis, that's what lingo is about. You know, I mean, lingo, I'll, I'll give you a kind of a, you mentioned the intro about secrets. I'll give an inside secret. So, you know, lingo is a, is a, is a marketing and branding book. And it's actually not the, I wrote a book last year and wound up shelving it and not wound up not putting it, not publishing it because it, in the end, it turned out to be the book I wrote last year, it turned out to be a very healthy, heavy self-help book. And it wasn't necessarily the right platform and, and certainly not the best book first book for me to put out. And at 
the end of the day, the strategy that, that are taught in lingo are things that I really feel are game changing for entrepreneurs. And that's what I wanted to deliver. But I fought hard. Uh, and I say fought hard because, you know, with some opposition from peers, professional authors, editor, uh, I, I fought hard to include in the, the very ending of the book, the third section of the book is it is self-help. You know, it's about three mindsets, about daily practices. It's the things that I say, you know, I can, I can, as the rest of the book does, it gives specific strategies and action steps on how to market your business, rebrand your business to attract your ideal customer. But what I also know from 33 years of experience is that if you don't change your story internally, if you don't change, if you don't unblock what's blocking you, you all the strategies in the world, you can keep applying them. But that's why people feel like they're on the hamster wheel or the treadmill, why they feel like they're working really hard but hardly getting ahead is because they're applying strategies without unblocking the story that's in their way. So to be responsible, I felt like this book needed to be complete. So it gives you all the strategies, but ends with, hey, now these are the mindsets, these are the daily practices that you might need to incorporate into your life in order to unblock yourself so that your strategies work. Well, I absolutely love everything you just said. And I find it interesting that you got any resistance from people because what I'm perceiving right now, for instance, one of the people I admire a lot is Joe Polish who has two podcasts, uh, I Love Marketing and Genius Network. And I Love Marketing is one of the most powerful self-help or personal development podcasts I've ever listened to. And he unabashedly says that. He says, yeah, we talk about marketing, but ultimately we're talking about first, how do you grow yourself to be the best human being possible? And then the marketing will really flourish, which is what I'm, what I'm hearing you say. It, is, absolutely. But you know, it, it, the reason I say there's resistance, look, you go to books or you go to Amazon, you choose a category. Do you want to buy a book from self-help or business? We need a third choice. Yep. <laughs> you know, why is it either or, you know, people expect that because that, that is the secret. The secret is that it actually isn't all one or the other. You know, the people like Joe Polish, those of us that are, you know, the, and if you look at, hey, Think and Grow Rich, the classic book, Think and Grow Rich, written in 1937, oh. had it, you know, Napoleon Hill had it right then. You know, it's it was strategies and mindset, but we're still talking about it because we're still a world divided in a way between, you know, doing business the, the same old way and also understanding the, the, the power of personal development. It, really, the answer lies in the blending of the two. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Mr. Napoleon Hill. I want to throw another one out to you. Um, it's a lesser known book because it was only published recently, Outwitting the Devil. Mm, nope, don't know that either. That was uh, Mr. Hill. And the reason it was only published recently is because his family suppressed it because they realized that had it been published during his lifetime, he would have been murdered. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, read it. It's incredibly cool. powerful, and, it, and it's very subversive in a good way, subversive in a way that it should be. Uh, what's the role of, oh, I, I wanted to ask you about what did photography teach you about human communication? You know, I love that. I love that you're asking that because it's, um, you know, in, in our world today, there's a lot of conversations around purpose, finding your why, knowing what your purpose is. And I'll tell you for, you know, the, I'm now in my 33rd year as a photographer, but I'm doing far less uh, than I than I used to. Uh, in the last seven or eight years, I've really been building up my coaching practice, speaking platform, etc. So, but for you know, the 25 years prior, if you asked me, I mean, I felt absolutely my purpose in life was to be a photographer. It's what I mastered. It's what I did well. It's what I was known for. You know, and yet if you ask me today, I feel like I'm more on purpose than ever. And I think for me, then I've come to understand 
understand that, you know, there is, I don't know that there's a single purpose. I don't know that I can even answer. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer it. I just know that th life transitions and our stories change. You know, if several years ago, my story was that I was 100% a photographer. You know, now the story is it's it's much broader and I don't have the answer to whether it's, it's one purpose. But what I can tell you, what photography taught me about communication is that as a photographer, I didn't, what I had to learn is I didn't just see people, but I had to sense people. Oh. There was a, right? There's a difference. But, you know, an ineffective, I shouldn't, well, I should say a less effective photographer, you know, just sees the subject before him. The reason I was successful and the reason that, you know, I had a very devoted clientele that, that comes back year after year, the reason is, is because they knew I sensed them, you know, and, and it wasn't just in the act of photographing them. And this is, honestly, this is what Lingo as the book is all about. It is about sensing people. It's about understanding their secret language. So it wasn't just applicable and how I photograph people, it was applicable and in the entire way that I built my business. My clients knew that I got them. I got their souls. I got their lifestyle. I understood. I was always a step or two ahead of them because, you know, when you, when you love someone and yes, I use the word love in business, <laughs> when you love someone and care for the people that are, that are entrusting you with, with, uh, your, your services, you know, I wanted to, just like we do in our intimate relationships, I wanted to really know, know them. You know, and I wanted to have, I wanted to, with empathy and with compassion, I wanted to know them deeply. Now, as the story goes, and the, the, the foundational story is right in the beginning of the book, I didn't come from this. You know, I wound up photographing the wealthiest people in the United States. I didn't come from that. I came from a lower middle class environment. The whole way that I got from there to serving the most affluent people in the country as a photographer was because I understood their lingo. I t and and I, what I realized is that we had similar values as the people I was going to serve, and those similar similar values created a you know a, a bond between us. But I didn't know their lifestyle, I didn't know their lingo, I didn't know what the world looked like to them. So that I took it upon myself with empathy to understand that. And when I did, that's when that 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 sense of communication. So to me, I look back now and th think that. 30 years as a photographer has entirely been my learning lab for what I can now teach through the book Lingo. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I really get what you're talking about because what I'm hearing is you learn to hear what people mean as opposed to what they say. Yes, it's that's a good way of putting it. I, I refer to it in, in Lingo. I re, one thing I refer to is what I call the deeper need. You know, it's, it's knowing your ideal customer so well that you know what they need that they don't know to ask for. Right. So they may be saying things, but beneath their words, because their words are not communicating what they really need, yeah. but you're, you're in touch with it. Yeah. Uh, so for example, to, for my photography clientele, um, I could look at it in two different ways. One is they would always call, you know, they would want a photograph. They would want maybe a photograph of their holiday card. They want portraits of the wall. No one ever contacted me and said, I would like you to stop me in my tracks as I walk down the hall of my, my home and be brought to tears by the memory before me. Nobody oh. ever asked for that. Oh. But I know I knew that's what they really wanted. They don't know to ask for that. They only know to ask for the photograph. But I had a much bigger goal for myself. I know what the passing of time means. I know what portraits mean to people. Nobody ever asked for that. 
On a business perspective, what I came to understand is the deeper need of my clientele is that they needed me to help them be responsible parents. That sounds crazy. But no, I assure no, you, no, no, right? no, no, right? no, that doesn't sound crazy to me. No, Go ahead. That's what they wanted, right? So they, they, you know, and I had to, and again, because I took the time to understand the perspective, I got to understand the way that they thought and the way that an affluent market thinks. First of all, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on them to treat their children equally. Think about it. If you have the means, you can't send two of your kids to an Ivy League school and one to community college. All kids have to be treated equally. There's a tremendous amount of pressure to be sure that there's an equal number of photographs of each of the children, right? Equal opportunity for all their futures. So as their family photographer, I made sure all the kids were photographed at the same age. I made sure there were equal number of photographs. I photographed them in a way that I made sure that it didn't, you know, there weren't these false impressions of bonds and relationships like mom was favoring one sibling. You know, I would photograph them very evenly and make sure all the children felt equally loved by their parents, which they did. The parents... You know, and because of their their financial means, they could always put their family first. And this was deeply important to them. It was also important to them that, you know, everything in their life regarding their photographs was presented beautifully and professionally. So, again, no one ever contacted me and said, I would like your help being a responsible parent. But once they worked with me as their photographer, I took that role on myself because I understood it was their deeper need. And they never had to think about it. It's just the way I showed up in their life, which is mm, what created mm-hmm. such a bond. Mm-hmm. You're making me think a lot of Simon Sinek's book, uh, Start With Why. Yes, yeah, I was you definitely, know? yeah, Simon and, and that that uh, that TEDx talk were certainly uh, a pivotal moment for sure. Uh, you know, a, cha- a changing a story for me, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already hit on it, uh, actually. I was going to say, I'll throw it out there anyway, if you want to add a few things to it. What's the role of intuition in good communication and in creating success? But mm. you that's really what you've been talking about so far. It is, except, you know, Louis, the sad thing is people don't trust their intuitions. You know, it, so I refer to, you know, my podcast is called Creative Warriors, and I look at creative warriors as the uncommon entrepreneurs. Not necessarily, creative warriors are not necessarily creatives in business, or not, certainly not the traditional creative arts. But really, I look at you know people that are uncommon entrepreneurs, people putting something different out in the world. And when you are, and it, which of course is a, a massively growing number, you know, people are creating some really cool things, whether it's technology or artwork or, you know, really interesting business models. You know, I mean, Air Airbnb and you know, those, these are creative business models. And so people are creating really interesting things. Anytime you're doing something uncommon, the hardest thing is as we look around business, yeah, business around us, it's very stereotypical. The difference is, you know, there's, we're shifting to a relationship business model, what I refer to in lingo as a customer centric model which is deeper than customer service. Customer-centric model is really deeply understanding your ideal customer and building a business for them. Instead of building the business and trying to customer serve the heck out of it to get people to fit in, right? Mm. Instead, right, you know, define who the ideal customer is first and build a business for them. Makes life a lot easier, I will tell you that. And the, the thing with intuition is I find a lot of people in business, if you're doing anything uncommon, you start doubting your intuition because it's different than what you see around you, which is exactly what you need to do. If, if anything, if you're, if you're truly innovative, it should be challenging and it shouldn't look like anything else. I want to inspire your listeners more than ever to trust your intuition. The most intuitive people in how they create often begin to doubt themselves in business and your differentiator 
likely comes from your intuition. Use your intuition to say, well, you know, I know the rest of the world does it this way, but I think I should do it this way. Trust that intuition and that voice. I love it because uh, now what I'm hearing from you is that intuition is another way of saying a person's secret language. It's a sensing. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's also listening to yourself. You know, I mean, lingo is primarily as a, a marketing and branding book is really geared towards, you know, uh, understanding the secret language of others. But yes, in that third section, the more self-help section, it really is also speaking your own language. Uh, you know, it's also listening to yourself. Well, but um, my question to you would be, how could you possibly hear or feel someone else's secret language if you're not in touch with your own? You know, you can't, so you're walking right into so many great things here. So there's uh, another chapter in the book uh, called The Validation Paradox, which is kind of what you just brought up. The Validation Paradox is this, this paradox that we think we have to find ourselves, and it tends to be a solo journey. But the fact of the matter is, it actually takes finding where you belong first, whether that's a, a peer group or in my case, what I'm stressing is this is why it's so important to work with your ideal customers. One of the primary reasons it's so important to work with your ideal customers is you actually find more in yourself by working with your ideal customers. And here's why. When we are solely inward, when we're only trying to do this work of validating ourselves and finding ourselves inwardly, we're going to hit a glass ceiling of our own expectations because expectation by definition has a predetermined outcome. So when we try to do this work solely on our own, we're going to hit a glass ceiling. We're only going to live up to our expectations as opposed to when you find where you belong, whether that is with your working with your ideal customers or it is a peer group or a support group. What you find is other people can see more in you than you can see in yourself. And Lewis, I'll bet you've had that experience. I'll bet you've had people say to you, man, you're capable of more. Oh, I yeah, see more yeah. in you, right? Yeah, yeah. That's we need to. That's what I mean by finding where you belong. You need to be around the people, and that's what it feels like to work with your ideal customer. When you work with people that you just get each other, they see more in you than you probably see in yourself, and that is the greatest way to to rise to your next highest level. I love it because what I'm seeing is one plus one equals three. Yeah. Well, you know, there's an African term called Ubuntu. Have you ever oh, heard yeah, that? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which means I am I because of we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ubuntu. Yes, yes, yes. I have a friend who's a philanthropist, philanthropist who works in Africa, and he's, he's introduced me to that term. So how does one begin to discover their secret language? What can you, uh, how can you guide people who are listening today? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, you know, the goal is to to first define who your ideal customer is. And, and in the book Lingo, we go about that in an inter- interesting way, sort of like much of what we've been talking about today, because often when we think about defining our ideal customer, it immediately sounds like we're talking about the other. But actually, I begin with first you have to define, you know, what are your innate char- characteristics? What are your skill sets and who would love that? Right. So it actually, again, it's a turning inwards process first. What are your innate characteristics? So, for example, if you have have a, you know, a, a particular sense of humor. You know, humor is an easy one to look at because, you know, if you have a, a, a vulgar sense of humor, well, that's not for everybody, right? So, you know, that's that's for you have to define. Well, this is who I am. You don't want to change who you are. You want to show up authentically. This is who I am. But who would love that? Yes, there's people who love vulgar humor, right? So, 
Who would love that? Who would be the ideal audience for that? So what are your innate characteristics? Who are you naturally and authentically? And what are your skill sets? And then posing the question, well, who would love that? That's actually how you define your ideal customer, right? So then you've got your ideal customer. And then in the book lingo, it is pretty strategically, you know, logically and strategically laid out so that people can walk through this process relatively simple. And there's five steps. The first step, the imperative foundational step is perspective, right? So before you can, you know, in order to, let me put it this way, in order to speak the secret language of your ideal customer, you first have to understand what the world looks like from their perspective. That's imperative. Without assumptions, without judgment, you have to understand their perspective. You know, again, as a 23-year-old at the time, when I was uh, changing my story and changing my business to serve the affluent clientele, I knew as a lower middle-class kid, I didn't know their perspective. So I had the instinct to go to where they shop, go where they dine and study the heck out of it so that I could understand their perspective. That's step number one. Step number two is to create an environment that's already familiar to them. You know, that this is so important. Again, you, you know, so much of business is not about fighting an uphill battle. And when you understand someone's perspective and how they see the world, you then understand what's already familiar to them. So create an atmosphere that they step into, whether it's virtually online or it's a brick and mortar. You want to create an environment that has that feeling of comfort that familiarity offers, right? That's important. It's important to make people, because it confirms for people that they are where they belong when they feel comfortable and it's familiar to them. You know, we all feel a little edgy when we step into environments that are way out of our familiarity, right? So you want to create an environment in your business online, virtually, brick and mortar that feels familiar to them. Uh, style is the third step. Style is often overlooked, but incredibly important because style is the decision maker. When you've understood your ideal customer's perspective, you'll you'll identify a certain style that they like. So, for example, if your ideal customer has uh, a very traditional style to it, whatever traditional means for your your market, you know you don't want to create a style that's super modern because that won't speak to them. Right. So style is a strong communicator. I mean, think about it. We and this is really important today because it is people make such quick decisions, whether you're walking down a a street and deciding what stores to go into or flipping through websites. uh, We will often what stops us in our tracks is when we feel like the style of something resonates for us. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, one of the examples I like to give is if you go into your typical discount store, like a, a TJ Maxx or something, I don't know if you have them in Canada, but uh, a TJ Maxx and uh, you've got, you know, various styles and designers mixed in on one rack and you're like flipping through your size, say it's medium, you're like flipping through the medium choices and, you know, just what stops you in your tracks? Like what makes you stop on one shirt versus another? The style of it. Like, oh, that style's me because we see ourselves in the style of other things. That's why style is so important. You want your, you want your ideal customer to see themselves in your style. Fourth step is uh, price psychology. You know, there's a tremendous amount of impact that can be created in how your position, what market your business is positioned in based on pricing psychology. If you want to reach a price conscious clientele, then you want to draw a lot of attention to your pricing and you want to make your pricing super specific, like, you know, $34.99, you know, uh, 12, you know, $12.93. <laughs> you know, if you want, if that, that draws attention and it, it, it focuses on the client who is very cost conscious because they want to make sure, you know, Walmart and large discount stores will follow the psychology because they want their, they want the secret language they're speaking to their customers is that, you know, we've worked this price down so specifically down to the 100th of a cent that you don't have to worry about paying more than you have to, right? So they're intentionally speaking 
a cost-conscious secret language. As opposed to on the high end, prices are completely rounded off, completely vague. Hmm. Uh, everything's just you know, rounded off because you don't want to draw a lot of attention to it. You know, one of the one of the great ironies I like to point out to people is you walk into if you walk into a diner, what's the first thing you see when you walk in the diner? Probably the hostess who's standing at a register, right? Hmm. You go into a nice restaurant, there's no register, right? You sit at a nice linen, you know, t- linen t- uh, table, and uh, and somebody takes your your credit card at the end of the evening and a, a leather portfolio and and brings back your credit card. Like it would, it would be appalling to see a register at a nice restaurant. Right? Mm-hmm. So different price points, very different experience people are going to have. Um, so again, that's the secret language. It would be, you don't want to mix and match that. I mean, like I said, it would be appalling to walk into a, an elegant restaurant and have a cash register sitting at the front. A lot of impact on psychology. I mean, you can literally, you can entirely position your business based on the pricing psychology. If something's, people will inherently think something's not good quality if it's too cheap. Oh yeah. Right. You know, so it's like you have to price things to a certain point just to convey where you're positioning yourself. If you're positioning yourself higher end quality, you have to price yourself higher just to gain the respect. Otherwise, people just assume it's cheap and poor quality. And then the last of the five steps are the words that you use. You know, and and uh, words have a tremendous amount of impact. And I go through several exercises in Lingo on how to properly use words and to choose the words. Again, even just choosing the difference between words like upgrade versus discount. You know, if you if you are working with a more cost-conscious cl- clientele, then then discount is probably an appealing word to them. Uh, but on the higher end, you would refer to it as an upgrade, right? You wouldn't, you know, the idea of discount. One of my coaching clients is a blogger for uh, luxury travelers, and uh, she had said to me once that, you know, because she's speaking the secret language of luxury travelers, she said, yeah, you know, talking discounts means nothing to them. Give them free water in an airport lounge, and now you're speaking their language, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. you know, again. The words that you use from the marketing words that you use, how you compel people to to have interest in your business are all important part of the words that you choose that are speaking the language of your customer. You can't you can't have a blue light flashing and scream discount and expect a sequ- uh, to draw forward a high end clientele. It's mm-hmm. not the right language. Mm-hmm. No, not the right no. language. Wonderful. That is wonderful. Thanks for explaining that. How can a business person make price and competition irrelevant? And I think you touched on it with this point, but is there anything else that you can add to it? You know, it's what happens is it, the bond supersedes price. You know, I did for, for Lingo, I did a fair amount of research, t- reaching out to people and asking people to identify. And I was actually surprised at how common it was when I asked the question, are there brands or businesses that you are so loyal to that price doesn't matter so much? And you know what? Almost everybody has something and it doesn't have to be the most expensive thing, but it can be. But I was overwhelmed with the number of people that, you know, live their lives frugally even, but there's something in their life. There's a brand in their life that, you know, like Harley Davidson is one that, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Lewis, I, it took everything I could. And I kind of, with some regret, I was in the grocery store the other day and a man with a bald head had Harley Davidson's logo tattooed on the side of his head. And he just didn't look like just not the tattoo, but his, his, his demeanor did not seem like the friendliest guy. So I was hesitant to go up and ask him if I could take a picture of his head. But Mm. man, when you see people tattooing brands on their body, you know, you realize, right, price, that's when that level of brand devotion 
supersedes price. And it might be the only place in that man's life where he expends, you know, Harley Davidson's a high end brand. It might be the only place in his life that he spends an excessive amount of money on something. He might be completely financially responsible in other areas of his life. But most of us have a certain something that creates a tremendous amount of brand loyalty or a business that we're really loyal to that we're willing to pay a little bit more. And the, you have to ask yourself, why is that? And the, the reason we are we do that is because there's something about that brand, that business that feels like, man, they get us. They're speaking our language. We're in tune with one another. I feel like a Harley guy and I feel like a part of the hog community. And when you have that sense of belonging and, you know, that this this brand just really gets me and I am that brand, that creates a, a brand loyalty that supersedes price. Price just becomes pretty irrelevant. And that is possible for every business when they're speaking the secret language of their ideal customer, mm. because that's the level of brand loyalty you get. But yeah, basically what you're saying is when you find it, you will attract your tribe because motorcycle, I mean, Harley Davidson, sure, there are business men who have like their weekend Harley ride, yes. but we also know that the Harley, you know, Hells Angels, uh, Sons of Anarchy, I mean, <laughs> I can understand that kind of bond. You're talking tribal now. Yeah, but there is, you know, and that's what I refer to in lingo is about community. You know, I think as a mindset for entrepreneurs, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to change your story about who your customers are and think of it as change the story from customer to community. Mm -hmm. That, that, mm -hmm. that, that, I think, a tremendously powerful way to change your story uh, and, and therefore change your life. And because when you start, it's a different level of responsibility. When you think of your the people that follow you, the people that invest in your business, your so-called customers, when you think of them as a community, you have a different level of responsibility. Your email list is no longer a bunch of emails that people opt in for. It is, you know, it, it's a community of people for which you're responsible for. I, it's a, I, I, I think it's one of the best mindsets that if you can really just change your story about that you serve customers and start thinking about it in terms of building a community. And I've always been fascinated by certain pop stars like Lady Gaga, and uh, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, for you know, better or worse, Taylor Swift certainly is a tremendous marketer, and largely Lady Gaga was one of the first to really build you know a community around her little monsters. And fat pop stars have been doing this phenomenally well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think you're bang on with that. When you talk about this concept, I'm in network marketing, and we uh, it comes up as servant leadership. Mm -hmm. Great term, servant leadership. And I, it's it, it is it's very it's, it's very powerful. It's profound. What is this thing that you call the new niche? Yeah, I, I touched on it a little bit before because it's such a game changer. It's again, it's it's uh, it's, not, it's more than just a change of story. It's, it's more than changing our personal story. It's how I would really like to change the story of entrepreneurship on a, on a big level. Because I, like a lot of creative thinkers, have really suffered under the notion that I had to find one thing. You know, I had to find my niche. And what I refer to as the new niche is instead of defining the one thing that you're supposed to do in life and the one audience that you have to give that. That too. The new niche to me is for you to get clear on what your area of expertise is. Now, just by definition, area of expertise has space and it's expansive. Think of it as an open field. 
So now we're talking about an area of expertise. My area of expertise, for example, is helping the uncommon entrepreneur. I'm not a great coach for you know, probably a grocery store or I don't do corporate coaching, You know, at least one-to-one. I'll do uh, marketing training for corporations, but I don't work one-to-one with executives. I work one-to-one with uncommon entrepreneurs. That's my area of expertise. What that allows me to do is think about think about the number of industries that exist and entrepreneurs in business that are doing something uncommon, right? So I started as a business coach coaching photographers several years ago because that made sense. I was a photographer and that's who came to me first. But once I realized this was my, my niche, my area of expertise was supporting uncommon entrepreneurs, that's when the world opened up and that's when business became scalable because I now realize I can coach, yeah, as I do, I coach a lot of other coaches. I coach podcast hosts. I coach designers, event planners, uh, data programmers. Uh, I coach people that there isn't a term for what they do yet. Right? Yep, I you got know, you. What they're doing is so unusual. There is no term for I have one of my coaching clients like that now. It's like we're calling him a CXO because we, you know, he's, he, he could be a CEO, he could be a CMO, he could be a COO, he could be a CFO. He actually has all those skill sets and he wants to, he wants to work with companies on a small contract basis. So it's a CXO. The X can be whatever it is that you need, right? So that a real term doesn't even exist for that yet. So that's my area of expertise. And it, it's, you know, as much as I try to not use Apple as an example, because everybody uses Apple as an example, the fact is you can't ignore how effective they've been in this. Like their area of expertise is cool, well-designed technology. And because of that, we will buy whatever they put out, whether it's a musical device, a computer, or a self-driving car, mm-hmm. we will stand mm-hmm. in line to buy all of it because mm-hmm. they own the space, right? They made that very clear years ago with their ad campaign, I'm a PC and I'm a Mac, mm-hmm. right? They, they personified that they were cool and PCs were not, right? So they owned their space. That's what I mean by the new niche. And what I love about the new niche is that for the first time, it's an expansive mindset. It's not finding the one thing. It's you defining what's your area of expertise and then, then finding as many audiences as possible that want your area of expertise. Mm, beautiful. So the new niche is you, right? And that's, yeah, that's the, you, yeah. you and I were talking about that before. It's like this transference. Old niche was always about the other. The new niche is about you. Who are you? What's your area of expertise? Again, it's working with business of the soul from the inside out. Well, I think uh, this is going to become more acceptable as people begin to realize that the educational system pushed people the other way, uh, pressuring them into choose your major. You're going to be a biologist or you're going to be an accountant. But what if you want to marry biology, accounting, and your love for the dramatic arts? Where Where can you do that in school? school. You can't, but you can do it in a model that you're proposing. Absolutely. And, you know, let's get practical here for a moment, Lewis. It's financial security. I mean, it's downright dangerous to actually only do one thing today because that one thing can become irrelevant due to a technology change or a shift in desire in society. Oh. So it's just it's just a practical business model on top of it. And no, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is great stuff. Now, what big obstacles and or setbacks did you confront as you were building your identity and your success? Well, you know, obstacles never go away. Um, <laughs> you know, launching your first book, you know, after 33 years in business, 
it's scary, you know? And so the obstacle is, is a little bit more internal than, than I've seen in the past. It's like, wow, this is my life's work in here. And this is a really powerful message. And I know this is potentially game-changing for entrepreneurs. So, you know, with the level of care, uh, so comes with that the level of fear, right? right? So that's, you know, that's an obstacle. But I have to say one of the, the, the biggest, gosh, there's been so many moments in my life, but the, probably a moment that totally was an obstacle out of the way and a complete changing of the story for me that did change my life is, uh, you know, it was a Sunday morning at what was then my weekend house in Connecticut and sitting there in my little garden drinking a cup of chai tea and, and feeling the pain that so many people feel that I'm supposed to only do one thing and that those words of, you know, you're a jack of all trades, master of none, ringing in my head, uh, just making me feel like I'm doing everything wrong. I'm mm. never going to be successful because, you know, I'm trying to do too many things. I'm doing everything the world tells me not to do. And, you know, here I am at that point. I had a highly successful photography business. How dare I risk it? You know, how dare I risk, you know, wanting to follow a path as a, as a business coach? And when I granted myself permission to take the risk and say, you know, again, this is a number of years ago when, to your point, yes, this is more acceptable. But, you know, eight, nine years ago when I'm having this conversation and this story is playing out in my head, I feel like I'm taking a huge risk. It was a huge obstacle for me to get the obstacle of the hurdle I needed to get out of the way was feeling the pressure of having to do it the way everybody else did it. Mm. And when I granted myself permission to say, you know, and at the time, honestly, I had two different websites. I had my photography website. I had my coaching website. And I literally got up from that chair in which I was sitting in, walked in and combined my websites and said, this is who I am. I am Jeffrey Shaw. And that has always been my business name, by the way. It's just Jeffrey Shaw. And I was like, I am Jeffrey Shaw. And Jeffrey Shaw as a whole person is a photographer, is a coach, is a speaker. And the world will either, I will either bring this together and the world accept me for my wholeness or they won't. And at that time, I didn't know. And now I can say it's been the greatest thing I did. Look at how much of our conversation today, you know, now what I do least in my life is my photography. That's what I do least. And yet, look how much of our conversation today, you ask questions about the photography because it's a whole, you're able to ask questions about a whole life and how one story transitions into the next. You know, that's, that's the permission I believe people should be granting themselves. Oh, yes, absolutely. 100%. This is wonderful content. You keep triggering uh, book titles in my head. Are you familiar with Ryan Halliday's The Obstacle is the Way? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed Ryan. Uh, actually, I, re I interviewed him after Ego is the Enemy. Uh, but yeah, I'm very familiar with his work. Awesome. Good. Yeah, because it's uh, definitely what you're talking about here. Now, who are the thought leaders in today's world that you admire the most? You know, the people I admire the most are, are tend to be the people I spend the most time with, you know, and that's the right back to the Jim Rohn quote, you know, you are the culmination of the five people you spend your most time with. So yeah, there are wonder, I mean, Simon Sinek, certainly, gosh, you know, there are a lot of bigger names that that I, that I admire. Dan Pink, I love his work and his thought processes. But I have to say, at the end of the day, the people I absolutely admire the most, the thought leaders, are the people that are, are close in my world. Uh, there are other professional speakers. Uh, Michael Port is somebody that I, I really treasure in my life. Um, and it actually was with Michael that I came up with the name Lingo for my book. So, you know, I, I choose to make sure I hang around closely with the thought leaders that I admire the most. So I'm not, it's not necessarily the people I put on a pedestal, the people that are in my life. Wonderful answer. I love that. 
What else would you like people to know about your book? When, uh, for instance, when will it be released? Mm -hmm. So it uh, officially releases January 30th, 2018, but it is currently available for pre-launch. So, you know, always a good idea to buy it in pre-launch because then you don't have to, you don't have to remember to buy it. <laughs> you buy it in pre-launch and it, it shows up upon release on January 30th. Uh, so it's available for pre-launch, -pre you know, per pre-sale purchase now and will release on January 30th. Yeah, I tell you, the, the thing I, I, I want, the additional thing I want people to know is, and I, I had to really give this some serious thought when I wrote a book, uh, which is why now? You know, I didn't want to, uh, why this book now? And I believe this is an imperative book for now, uh, for right now and for the future of business, because I think we are at the end of the whole idea of avatars and demographics and buyer personas, which have been the marketing techniques up to now. And I just know and 100% certain that consumers today, consumers in the future, are going to require that we know more about them than their demographics, their statistics, and even that we've made up a false avatar that represents them. They want, they are going to demand in order to get into their pockets and wallets and pocketbooks, in order for, for them to give us their business, they're going to require that you really get them. And I think that, you know, I, I, I think that's a noble request. I think it's a fair request. And I think as people in business, we're going to have to answer that. And the reason I think this is going to continue to become more important is as you know AI artificial intelligence and robotics and you know automation as that continues to flourish the opposite will become true people will crave and will be drawn to the businesses that stand out because they create a deeper emotional connection because it will be lacking in so many other places in business and I and I don't mean that as a criticism at all I actually am a huge proponent of the advancement of technology and automation and even robotics and AI because what I think the greatest advantage of technology technology in our world is that it offers us the opportunity to pick and choose the relationships we want. You know, I remember thinking years ago, uh, you know, Lewis and I, you and I have been around for a while and, you know, there was a time before ATMs, right? <laughs> and, you know, we used to go to the bank teller and sure, you could say the world is less personal, but you know, at the end of the day, Lewis, I don't want a relationship with my bank teller. I'm happy to do that kind of transaction with a machine. Why? Because then it gives me time for where relationships do matter in my life well, with Jeffrey, the people that matter to me. I, I totally agree, but you probably are aware of the irony that soon your AI will get you better than a lot of people do. You know, but hey, it's all, I had a, a great guest, uh, his name won't come to mind right now, but his book was called The Fuzzy and the Techie. And what I loved about my conversation with him is that, you know, behind all technology is still humanity, you know, so there's still, and again, it will never, you know, this is a big topic of conversation in the professional speaking field, because, hey, we could, you know, you could give professionally keynotes via uh, streaming, um, maybe we'll be able to do a hologram someday. But the as much as that becomes true, the more people will crave personal interaction. And that's one thing no machine can ever replace. No well, machine will ever be able to replace, you know, human interaction. I want to challenge that. I, I, I love what you're saying, but I can envision a time when we have expanded our own definition of humanity to a point where the hologram will be able to empathize with you, bond with you in such a way that you will not be able to distinguish it from the real, whatever we want to call real today. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I, I give more credit to human energy. Um, you know, one of my favorite, uh, actually, you mentioned thought leaders a moment ago. One of my favorite authors is Todd Henry. And T- Todd's most recent book, he's a new one come out in January, but his most recent book is called Louder Than Words. And what I love about that message of Louder Than Words is that what he's really saying is that, and it's, it's interesting how much it ties into my book, Lingo, is at the end of the day, what we're talking about is the energy behind things, you know, and he's referring to the energy behind words is louder than the words themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying about the secret language. Like by you speaking the secret language of your customers, the energy of the bond that you create is more powerful and louder than, you know, any other type of marketing. It stands out, right? So I, I think there, there will, it, it'll be, I don't know how we can ever create the same level of authentic energy with any technology or hologram. I think the humanity is, is always going to be there. Well, I certainly hope so. I um, I certainly love the vision that you're putting forth. You're familiar with the movie Her? Uh, I I know of the title. I've not seen it. Mm, you might might find it interesting to see. It's <laughs> it's quite a uh, an intelligent exploration of this whole subject. Now, where do you see yourself in five years, Jeffrey? Um, gosh, you know, one never knows. I don't tend to look that far ahead. Although it seems like it's interesting. I think for a lot of us, it always seems like we live our lives with a master plan. But I don't. <laughs> as to a, a lot of leaders don't. Um, I'm very open to seeing where it goes. But, you know, my ideal scenario would be, and I, I honestly, Louis, I am living so much of my ideal life. May I live on the beach, uh, great relationship. So, you know, I've got healthy kids. So in so many ways, I live my ideal life. What I would like to add to that is to have a lot more impact through my speaking. Um, mm. So I see that probably my biggest growth curve in the next five years is uh, speaking uh, more frequently, larger audiences, bigger impact events. Um, I love, talk about energy. There is nothing that can be matched um, as the the energy that comes from from an audience. Uh, it's such a co-creation process. So I think that's probably my, my vision for the next five years. I love it. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that I'm a professional actor and I'm, I began my career on stage. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I did. I looked into your background a little bit. And, and of so, course, we can tell that by your, your good looks too. <laughs> and yours, my friend. <laughs> but you know, that's a funny comment, actually, in a way. I, I want to comment on that because I'm glad that that whole concept of the movie star changed so radically over the past 10 to 20 years because now we have people who will get lost in a crowd who were recognizing their beauty and their talent on screen. I'm thinking of a guy like Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. who gets lost in a crowd, but you put him on screen or stage yeah. and he is the star. But yeah. that's a whole other subject. Um, do you have a favorite book? Oh, Ben, I am a ferocious reader. Uh, so often I'll say that my favorite one is, is often the last one I read. But, you know, I guess to really give your listeners something concrete, I would say Daniel Pink's To Sell is Human is is a book I come back to all the time. And it's it's got to be several years old now, but I, I constantly am referring it to others. So To Sell is Human, a couple of foundational, you know, talk about a book full of changing your stories. Like there's there are ways in which you can change the story in your mind about selling uh, that will dramatically change the way you sell for the rest of your life. I love it. As a matter of fact, uh, you probably know the, the, the three-minute video on YouTube, Joe Polish is selling evil. Hmm, no, I have not seen oh, it. Oh, take a look uh, at check it. Check it out. Take Thanks a look so. at it today because I think it's going to probably support Daniel Pink's book, even though I haven't read it yet, but I'm definitely going to pick it up. Yeah, now, stunning. do you have a favorite quote? 
Yeah, my favorite quote is by Jim Rohn, one I live by. And the quote is, uh, your level of success rarely exceeds your level of personal development. Oh, you know, you <laughs> know why? that for a call to action? <laughs> well, the reason I love that is that as a network marketer, that is exactly what they teach as a basic, as a foundation for everything we do. They say, your business won't grow unless you first grow yourself as a person. Absolutely. And it's, 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 it's yeah, it's so much what we spoke about today too, it's, right? It's constantly, it's the personal development that needs to come along with the strategies. It's not an either or, it's not business or self-help. It's not strategy strategy or, or personal development. It's both. 100 and no, 200% in agreement <laughs> with you. So how is, what's the best way for people to contact you? Well, we've actually put together a nice uh, Lingo Media Kit for uh, your listeners, which they can get at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash change. And in this Lingo Media Kit, uh, it's really nicely put together. There's a there's an infographic, a visual representation of, of the five steps of the secret language strategy that I briefly described. So now you have it visual. There's also a free chapter, which is the chapter on perspective, because I think it's foundational. So a really important free chapter. And there's an audio version of the free chapter, which I love because as a podcaster, you know, being in the audio business, I had fun with it. We added sound effects. There's additional content in the audio that is not in the written word. Um, so the audio version has actually been a huge hit and a lot of fun. So I've put all that together to create the Lingo Media Kit. Uh, again, available at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash change. Well, thank you. That is wonderful. That is so thoughtful of you and extremely valuable. And um, I would like you to spell Jeffrey for our audience because I know sure. that there are there are different spellings of it. Yeah, it, it's it's so much more simple. Everybody wants to complicate. J e f f r e y. My last name is Shaw. S h a w. It's it's been an interesting thing. So many people spell Jeffrey J e f f e r y. They switch the e r y, and I finally figured out why. It's because on a QWERTY keyboard, the e r y are in order, but it's not Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey. So it's J e f f r e y. Cool. Cool. I'm glad you asked. You're the first person that's ever asked that. Thank you. <laughs> well, because I know a number of Jeffreys, and I know that they don't all spell their names the same right. way, and I often have to look it up. <laughs> so if you could wave a magic wand and change on only one thing in the world, what would it be? Uh, you know, I knew this question was coming, and boy, that's a huge question. Man, there's so much to change in the world right now. But I would say if I could only pick one thing... I would say, let's stop judging one another. Let's stop judging one another. I think peace could come from <laughs> stop judging because with judgment comes assumptions and, and you know, I, it blocks, judgment blocks curiosity instead of being judgmental about one another. Let's just be curious. Let's be, let's be curious about what makes someone tick. Let's be curious about what one another's secret language is and how we can connect deeper. Um, so in the way of that is judgment. So that would be what I would love to sweep away with a magic wand. I absolutely love it. And what I want to say to my storytellers right now is that what Jeffrey just said, if you forget everything else that he said, which you shouldn't, but if you did and you just took that away and applied it in your life, your life and your story would change dramatically. Any final thoughts, Jeffrey? Yeah, oh, gosh, I'm so you just you just kind of summarize you just kind of blew me away with your summary of that. So I thank you for that. Final thoughts is, you know, 
Entrepreneurs are the communicators. We're the change makers. I believe wholeheartedly it is the uncommon entrepreneur that is going to, we stand positioned to make the greatest changes. And if we can start building businesses where we're creating the bonds that speaking people's secret languages can create, then we can change the world. You know, I used to, I used to hold this tenant true that I wanted to change the world one entrepreneur at a time. You know, it's exhausting to do it one at a time. So I'm trying to do it on a bigger scale. But I do believe in our power as the communicators because we're embedded in our communities. We're, you know, we're, we're online and can reach massive numbers of people. So, you know, just go for it. If you're doing something unusual, the uncommon entrepreneur, this is our time. This is our time to rise. And I do believe we are positioned better than we've ever been before to change the world and, 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 uh, and, and create a tighter bond in the world. My friend, there are reasons why things happen. And I believe there was a very strong reason why you ended up on my show. What you just said is my profound belief as well. And my great skill, I'm a masterful storyteller, and it came from my background in the world of drama and theater. And today I'm applying that as an entrepreneur with the goal of helping people to break their stories of judgment and to eventually create a global conversation that transcends borders and brings us all into peace, harmony, and abundance. Mm, beautifully said. And that's, you know, you're right. Like thinkers attract one another. And that is also the feeling I want people to get with that's the magic of being an entrepreneur today. Like yes, when you work is. with your ideal customers, right? What you and I, you know, have how we have found each other and that we're on the same mission, you know, that's a boy, that's that's such an uh, that's such a feeling that I can identify with as when you work with your ideal customers, the people that you get one another, it is it's like they've joined your mission. They no longer feel like they're you know, spending money or giving money to you as the business person. They truly feel like they've joined your mission because there's such a sense of shared values, which you and I have as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Really you've been a pleasure, Lewis. Thank you. Listen, you've enriched my day and I know you've enriched our audience of storytellers. Wow, that was fun. And thank you, storytellers, for sharing in our, what I would say, a very uplifting podcast today. Make sure that you pay it forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Take advantage of the free gift waiting for you at that website, a downloadable ebook that I created for you called Storytelling Secrets for a rich life and business. As well, take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible, to grab a copy of one of your favorite audio books, absolutely free, and have access to Audible service for free for one month. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. One of the main things that I took from my conversation with Jeffrey today is the fact that to really understand the messages that people are sending us, also the messages that we're sending out to the world, we've got to tune in not so much to what we're saying or they're saying, but to what we mean and what they mean. And very often, the real meaning of our communication is somewhere beneath the words. Hence, Jeffrey calls it a secret language. 
Start thinking about that. You're in business? Then think about the people you serve. What do they really want? Are you hearing their message? Are you understanding their secret language? And then ask the question to yourself, what do I really want? As opposed often to what I say I want. When you can begin to illuminate those questions for yourself, get clear answers, you're on the verge of making a major breakthrough in your life and in your business. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.